DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. You're listening to the High Octane Leadership Podcast with Donald Thompson. The world is shifting around you. None of us were trained for this changing environment. You need high octane leadership in an empathetic world before your business is swallowed alive. This podcast focuses on actionable, hands-on tools you can use to become a high octane leader today and grow strong leaders throughout your organization to survive tomorrow. Join me along with global C-suite leaders, rising stars, ambitious entrepreneurs, and other leaders from across industries as we dissect, interrogate, and redefine high-octane leadership in an empathetic world. This podcast is your home for uncovering the tools, lessons, and strategies you need to push your leadership to the next level. Welcome to another episode of the High Octane Leadership Podcast. And I am Donald Thompson, your host, and can't wait to really unpack some things with our guest, uh, Shelly Willingham. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Shelly and I work together at the Diversity Movement uh, and uh, very, very excited to share with you all her recent promotion within our organization. Uh, she is now our Chief Revenue Officer, so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. One of the things I'd like to do for our audience is really give you a, a moment to just introduce yourself. Talk about you know where you've been, where you've different businesses you've started, and different things. Whatever would make the audience feel that they know Shelly a little bit better, and then we'll dig into to some of the the topics that we want to cover today. Okay, sounds good. Well, thanks again for having me. Been looking forward to this conversation. Um, okay, about Shelly, I always feel old when I have these conversations that start there because it feels like it goes way back. Um, I grew up in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Went to school at UNC Chapel Hill. After college, I moved to Chicago for several years. I started my career in, in sales. I've always been in sales from in college, actually selling, um, doing telemarketing, calling uh, to raise money for the North Carolina benevolent. I mean, all these things, I've always been a part of sales. I was selling fitness memberships one time in college um, as I was going through school. 
After college, my first job was at a company called Great Expectations. And I know this is going to date me because Great Expectations was a video dating service. <laughs> and so I remember telling my parents, I got a job at Great Expectations. And they were thinking, uh, is this an escort service? <laughs> no, it's a video legitimate dating service. But what I learned from that experience was that I had conversations with people for 45 minutes to an hour and had to convince them to give me $2,500 to join this dating service. And so it helped me learn how to build value mm -hmm. from the very beginning. And so you won't ever see that on my resume. You'll see Pitney Bowes on my resume <laughs> as my first corporate sales job. But really, and it's interesting because when Pitney Bowes was interviewing me, they loved the fact that I was able to do what I did at Great Expectations by having those conversations, building the value so much that when you give that price, they still are like, oh, no, I've got to have this product or service. So um, it was a great experience working at Great Expectations. <laughs> that is powerful. One of the things that's that's similar in, in my walk, not the same, but similar, is I was in the Amway business for a lot of years. And I probably had I had a couple of hundred people in my network and 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 made a little little money. And in fact, right, uh, fun fact, I got like this prepaid debit card the other day for like a couple thousand dollars for oh, some wow. residual dollars <laughs> that were just sitting in an account. But I say all that to say that taught me sales. Yeah. Right. You're trying to get people to sell something that their friends don't think is cool, that is new to them. They're not sales professionals. And to convince them to do something after hours and talking to a wide variety of different folks. And that was a really uh, confidence builder in really creating message, creating value, yeah. right? But also telling stories. Yeah. Because people don't really move until they have a, a kind of intrinsic motivation to, to do so. So yeah. anyway, that's a that's a fun fact on, on my side. As we delve into kind of what you're doing today with the diversity movement, I do want to take a step back and say, you are very and are very successful what about the diversity movement? What about its mission? Said Shelley should take a chance on what we're doing and go next level on your career with us. Yeah. So just to kind of backtrack just a little bit. So I mentioned that I moved to Chicago working for Pitney Bowes. Um, I was blowing out all of my sales numbers, went and sold software after that, and had the opportunity to move back to North Carolina in the early 2000s. And at that point, I was like, I'm making all this money for all these companies. I can make this money for myself. So I moved back to North Carolina and started a sales consulting company. That was the goal at first that kind of morphed into marketing. You know, sometimes when you start a business, you got to go where the market is telling you to go. And so clients needed help with marketing. So I was working with a client at the time, John Deere, and they were really trying to figure out how do we capitalize on this increasing population of the Hispanic market coming into North Carolina and so I was looking for resources and I couldn't find anything. And so because I couldn't find anything and I was doing all this research is when I started my first company around diversity that focused really on the sales and marketing aspects of it. It focused on how much money are you leaving on the table because you are not recognizing the increased purchasing power in diverse segments. And at that time, Don, if you remember in the early 2000s, it was more of the kumbaya diversity conversation. We are the world. It's the right thing to do, even sometimes down to compliance and affirmative action. The way I was having these conversations that would get me in the C-suite with Merrill Lynch, with Allstate, with GE, was that, hey, this group has X amount of purchasing power. You're not marketing to them. Or if you are, you're using stereotypes and being pretty offensive. So what can you do differently to make sure you are capitalizing on that market share? And so with that business, that's the one that really kind of exploded for me. That was really, I'd say, my first major success. Um, Fortune Magazine reached out, did a partnership with them. 
had 15 employees that depended on me to make this thing work, and life was good for a while until it wasn't. And so in 2007, Merrill Lynch at the time was my largest client. So definitely don't want to have 75% of your business made up by one particular client. Pro, pro tip for entrepreneurs. <laughs> pro tip, yes. Keep that in mind. Um, and they got bought out by Bank of America. And at the same time, the market was kind of tanking. And so people started to cut diversity budgets. And they cut it even more when we got a black president, Barack Obama, 2008, because if we have a black president, we don't have diversity issues in the United States. So my business failed, quite honestly. I lost my clients. I cashed out my retirement, my savings, sold furniture so I can continue to pay my employees who I knew showed up every day. Mm-hmm. And had my, you know depended on me to help them to support their family, and so it got to the point, Don, where I lost everything. Not rich people broke, like down to my last hundred thousand dollars, but poor people broke just to buy <laughs> nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing. And so that taught me a lot of lessons, not only about entrepreneurship and about business, but just about life in general. And so, from another entrepreneur pro tip is you know get a mentor, get a coach as you're doing this work. Um, if I had had someone that could maybe help see some of the blind spots that I was Mm -hmm. missing, um, kind of guide me along the way, things might've turned out differently. But I I wouldn't trade that experience for anything because it was a learning experience and it helped shape to build me into how I'm gonna ultimately come work at the diversity movement, quite honestly. So after that happened, I had to figure out what I was gonna do with my life. And um, I remember Don, when I was running my business, I was traveling so much, like almost once a week. And at the time, my son was about three or four years old. And he would stand in the doorway when I was packing my suitcase on Sunday and just cry. And I remember thinking, you know, it it bothered me, but I'm like, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. And then when all of those things kind of came tumbling down, you know, when you lose everything, you're really free to do anything. And, you know, one of the things I decided was whatever I do next, I've got to be around for my for my family, because that's that's a something that's important to me, a value that I learned from that. And so I uh, took on the role at the uh, St. Augustine University as their vice president of marketing, chief communications officer. And the plan, Don, was to be there for 12 to 18 months. And I was going back on my own. I was there for five years. Um, And it was a very humbling experience, but a very good experience. But I wasn't, I still couldn't figure out what it is that I wanted to do. And then when it did finally hit me, it really was helping entrepreneurs, small business owners do a couple of things. One I can teach you how to grow a business. I can teach you how to get attention from Forbes, but I can also tell you all the mistakes I made that caused me to lose it. Um, I can talk to you about marketing. I can talk to you about sales. And so that's what I was doing when you connected. We connected on LinkedIn and you told me about the diversity movement, which I thought was amazing. And we talked about partnering on some things, which I thought was also amazing. And then, you know, George Floyd happens and, um, I was watching it and thinking to myself, what is going to be my role in this movement? Am I going to you know, write a check? Am I going to march in a protest? Yeah, I can do all those things. But what can I really do to really have a significant impact in what's happening now? Because it felt different to me, Don. It felt like there were more eyes on it. There were more people engaged in the conversations. When I looked at the, the protest, there were people there that did not look like me. So I'm like, okay, this feels different, like yeah. a different type of momentum. And so when you talked talk, talk to me about the opportunity here at the diversity movement, you know, I made the decision to join in August of 2020. It was the best decision that I think I've ever made. Well, we are, are glad to have you. And thank you for that backstory, right? Because a lot of times when people are successful, people only see the end result part and they don't really understand the backstory to appreciate everyone's journey. 
and your journey is very, very powerful. And I really love the phrase, you know, when you lose everything, right, you're free to do anything. Yeah. And you took that downward moment, right, because it was a moment, um, but you used it to fuel, right, that future success. And a lot of people get lost in their downward moment. Yeah. And, and they really never recover, uh, not even just the financial part, but the emotive part. Um, and, you know, I had uh, some family over uh, for Father's Day. And my oldest daughter, Mariah, who is a writer and just super thoughtful, she said to me and my dad, do you all have any Father's Day wisdom? And I thought about the question, but my answer was very simple, right? Learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And if you, if you do that on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a year, and you really learn from your mistakes, your missteps, right, you're going to create wisdom and be able to push forward faster. So thanks for that, for that backstory. Let's dial into a little bit uh, about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the hot topics now, right, are, you know, the, for lack of a better term, right, the conservative uh, Republicans, whatever you want to call it, call it, have really hijacked yes. DEI and created an atmosphere where for many, DEI is a negative term. DEI is a divisive term. DEI is that woke stuff. What do you communicate to folks? Because I'll say this, and I do have a question, is that when people are not supportive of something I'm doing, I try not to vilify them. I try to understand where they're coming from. Sometimes you can't. Right. But I, I try to at least under, understand. I'd love your perspective on what's happening kind of in the media, in the world, and where something that is built to grow better business has now been turned into a political weapon. I think a couple of things. <laughs> um, the whole concept of vote, like you said, it's been hijacked. It never meant what it means now, right? It, it started in the black community about just being aware of where you are and, you know, keeping your eyes open to make sure you stay safe. Um, now it feels like it's a term that's used to say anything we don't like. So down to, oh, you're going to provide tampons in the girls' bathroom? That's woke. I mean, so it's it's getting to the place where it's really even hard for them to define, right, what it is. But what I'll say is that when we think about business and think about marketers and salespeople or whatever that may be, stick to the basics. Stick to the basics. What are the demographics telling you? What are the numbers telling you? I mean, look at what is happening with your target audience. Look at who you may, may not um, be attracting because of certain messaging you may or may not have. And just stick to the focus. So, so take the noise away. It's a distraction. It's a huge distraction. But if you stick to basic business principles, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that should kind of help you get through those things. But on the flip side, with what happened with George Floyd and me saying, you know, things felt very different. They are different. And brands used to have the luxury of being able to maybe just kind of stand on the sidelines and not address social justice or even political issues at times that they didn't want to. But now mm -hmm. in the world that we live in, we have the most diverse adult U.S. population in American history. And they care about these things. They will not work for, shop at, buy from companies, organizations that don't represent their views and their values. So right now, what we need are courageous leaders, Don, that will step up and say, you know, I don't care what's being said on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle, but this is good for my business and this is good for my employees, the people that I say I protect. Back in the 60s, I think Atlanta was doing some type of business awards dinner for Dr. Dr. King. And a lot of business leaders said, oh, we're not going to show up for that. And then the president of Coca-Cola at the time said, OK, well, guess what? If you don't show up, we're moving Atlanta out of Atlanta headquarters out of um, I mean, Coca-Cola headquarters out of Atlanta. 
they showed up. And that's like a, a, an example of corporate mm. activism that shows that, you know, companies, sometimes we have to lean into them to be the leaders and move us through certain situations. When COVID hit, it was or it was companies, it was corporate that made the decision to keep companies home. The government couldn't decide, are we shutting down? Are we not shutting down? So right now, those corporate leaders have to kind of be courageous and take a stand on those things, again, that are important to them, that they say are in their value statement, that they say is part of their mission, that they're not living that out. They will be called out. There is a good thing called cancel culture, like it or not. So how are you going to stand up to make sure that you're doing and walking out what you say your company believes in? Oh, I appreciate that very much. I think, you know, one of the things that business leaders today um, have to really think about is what is their role yeah. in the lives of their employees? Yes. And for every business, that would be different. But you have to ask that question. Right. Right. And not just kind of float through like we're, we're, we're living in a you know, rose petaled glasses or, or garden of tulips. And I think that. A lot of times business leaders think they have to be all in on everything. When I try to help people understand they need to be all in on empathy and care. Yes. Right? You don't have to change or say what your company's stance is on gun control. You have to acknowledge that if there's a school shooting or when there's a school shooting, that parents are concerned about the safety of their kids. Yeah. So that acknowledgement is the most important thing. That acknowledgement where you can create a better environment for flexibility for your workforce. All of those things are from a DEI lens. DEI is not simply a race conversation. Right. That's an important component, but I think those that try to make it um, kind of myopic like that are really trying to discredit. When what we're actually doing is just fostering what it takes to have a great workplace. Absolutely. And I also think that, and I know you've seen this too, there are a lot of bad actors in the diversity space. So after George Floyd, so many people put up shingles and said, oh, I'm a diversity expert because of my lived experience. And no, you're not. Um, and a lot of the things that they were training or teaching was divisive. It wasn't inclusive. And so when you make a group of people feel like we don't care what you have to say, you're not a part of this, that's not true inclusion at its core. And so what I would love for people to understand, even the far right wing conservative, you are a part of this conversation. We care about what you have to say. That's inclusion. Inclusion means all. So that means you. So with that lens, hopefully it's not this divisive thing, but it's how can we all with differing views and differing ideas and differing values and thoughts, but how can we all come together to focus on something that we can agree on and just respect each other's differing views on that? Oh, that's super and, and powerful. When leaders come to you, because you talk to folks that are chief people officers, CEOs, um, heads of HR for, for large enterprise organizations as well as smaller businesses, but a lot of the work you're doing is in the enterprise level. How do you help people with where they should start with their diversity work? Sometimes people will come to you and say, all right, we want to do this. We've got this committee. We've got an ERG. How do you help them know what they should do and think about? That's an excellent question. And the CEO that I work for by the name of Donald Thompson always says, <laughs> sometimes you have to slow down to speed up. And that's really kind of where we start, because a lot of companies will say, oh, we've got to have this great diversity recruiting strategy. Well, you can't have that if you don't make sure that your culture is set up to receive and welcome this diverse talent that you're about to recruit. So at the very beginning, we just want to understand where we are and create a baseline. Like, where are you as an organization? That involves an assessment. That involves looking at the data, um, really understanding where you are. And then from that, being able to look at the themes, again, being driven by data, not drama, but data, 
and say, okay, these are the steps that we need to take to ensure that we're hitting on particular goals. And the goals are really not separate diversity goals. They're your corporate goals. Mm -hmm. Stick to that. It's not a separate thing, right? It's looking at what are we trying to be as an organization, then how can we leverage DEI to help accomplish those things? And I think that's a lot of, a lot of times where DEI gets a bad rap and I think needs to be rebranded in a way is that it is this separate soft skill thing and it's not treated as one of the levers that we need to really create and build successful businesses. I like the term levers, right? So when you think about what are you trying to do as a business leader, right? Um, you're trying to create influence, yeah. right? And that's whether you're trying to influence people to come and work for your firm. Mm -hmm. You're influencing investors to invest in your firm, influencing consumers to buy from your firm. And so DEI as a lever of influence, I think is really important. And the way you do that is that you create the language that aligns with how people work. So I'd like to hear you talk about, like, how do you take DEI from a marketer's view? How do you talk to a sales professional or CFO about DEI so that they feel it in the way they do their job? So I would say one of the things that I learned early in my sales career is always to think about what's in it for them. And so that's how I approach everything that I do when I'm talking to a leader. What's in it for them? So if I'm talking to a marketing leader, how do we talk about your target audience may be shifting very dramatically in the next few years. If you're not positioned to talk to this audience, you're putting yourself at a competitive disadvantage. That's the conversation they want to have with me, not talking about unconscious bias. Now, unconscious bias will be a part of that conversation, but at fir first I have to talk about what's in it for them. For a salesperson, salespeople just want to know, how, how am I going to get paid? <laughs> how am I going to make money? So if I have a conversation and explain, okay, here's the purchasing power in this particular segment. Or this is what you're leaving on the table because you're not having an inclusive approach to your selling strategy. So you're not even reaching out to particular audiences or groups because you're not comfortable. That's the conversation. It's not, oh, you're forced to go to this um, inclusive language training course, which they're going to tune out and not participate in. So really boiling it down to what's in it for them, talking about how that's going to affect them and their everyday job and their everyday flow of work and getting buy-in up front. And then using all the other tools that we know that are needed, unconscious bias, training, inclusive language, whatever that looks like, and embedding mm -hmm. that into what a personal action plan for growth looks like for them. When you think about, you know, the folks you talk to, I mentioned chief people officers, I mentioned CEOs, but you also spend a lot of time with chief marketing officers. And you've been a speaker at several different conferences and, and have a lot of lessons learned. What would you say to the person that owns the brand, right, for an organization and how they need to think about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion as a part of that brand promise. So it, it boils back down to kind of walking out those values in this kind of world that we're living in right now. And, you know, being able to Google and look around and see the cancel culture, looking at people blowing brands up because they're not doing something that they said they were going to do. So helping that marketing and branding leader understand how embedding DEI into what you're doing every day is, number one, going to make your job easier. Number two, strengthen your brand. Number three, again, open you up to different segments and markets that you may not even have thought about as an opportunity and recognizing the importance of, you know, we, as marketers, we know about the consistency of brand and brand promise, all those things. If you have a DEI strategy at your at your company, but you're not aligned with the person that's running that strategy, that's a huge disconnect and can blow up in your face. So, again, what's in it for them? How does this impact their job and what they're trying to accomplish as the leader? And how to embed those two together so that it, it's a strength and not a weakness. Yep. You know, an example that comes to mind is a lot of times, you know, people react negatively to things they don't understand and understand how they apply. And I was talking with a business leader and, 
they were talking about pronouns, right? And they were like, why do I have to learn all this? You know, why does it matter? Right. And, and all those things. I was like, well, first, and they were very clear and I don't want to use them. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Right. Uh, I said, do you want to sell more products in your business? Yeah. Do you want to have more mortgages in your financial firm? Yeah. I said, so wouldn't it make sense for your frontline professionals to understand pronouns? So if somebody uses the they, them pronouns, they can feel comfortable in doing a transaction in your business with your team, with your people. Well, that makes sense. It's like, so it's not a function of what you want to or don't want to do, but it is really just a function of how do you serve your consumer? If an automobile manufacturer changes the inside of a car because women are the primary purchasers of minivans per se, right? This was one decision that was made by car companies. Well, that is diversity, equity, inclusion in how to sell more vehicles, is designing the interior of the vehicle, right, for a woman's perspective. Because through research, not through gender bias, through research, men don't care about that. They want to know how fast from zero to 60. They want to have RPMs. They want to hear, there's different buy signals, right, based on, uh, on gender. And so as I explained that, the, the leader got a little bit more understanding because I think one of the things that we're facing is people are afraid of being forced to change. And that's not really the ask. The ask is understanding and appreciation of, of others. But anyway, I, I, uh, I will take a gentle step off my soapbox and, <laughs> and, and ask you the, this question. When you think about leadership characteristics, inclusive leadership. What are some of the things that leaders need to do and become to really be ready and equipped to lead in the new economy? Definitely courage. <laughs> you have to be courageous because these are scary times that we're living in. And um, you've got to dig deep on the courage. You've got to be curious. You've got to examine how you're doing things, why you're doing those things, and is there a different way to maybe do those things? You've got to have um, compassion. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that earlier about empathy. I mean, that's so important right now to really understand um, how to be a compassionate leader. And you've really got to, I don't know how to describe this, but really really you're, you're, you're blocking out all of the noise, kind of what we talked about earlier, and being laser focused on what the, the mission and vision of your organization is. And more than anything at this point, t doing taking the steps to walk that out. And understanding that, you know, by just putting up a pride flag on a particular month to say that you support the LGBTQ plus community, but you don't have anything, any type of protections in place for your employees, you're creating the, you're creating the illusion of progress, which is actually detrimental to the community you say you want to protect or that you support. And so it really is taking a personal step back because a lot of leaders, that, and I know, Don, you talk to leaders that it's not that they don't want to do something. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Right. They're afraid of making a mistake. They're like, well, maybe I'm not the best person to do this. So there's a lot of questioning that they're having. So it's it's really, you know, you take a, a CEO, a leader of an organization who has a pretty big, not talking about you, ego, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and, you know, they're they're like, wait a minute, I, you know, I know a lot of stuff. Is it? But this is something you got to kind of take a step back and humble yourself to understand, I don't know everything, That's right. and be okay learning um, and understanding again, how is this going to impact me personally, but also if I'm leading an organization of people, um, 
how do I leverage that to make sure that I'm being a positive and inclusive leader every day? Oh, that is great. I appreciate it. A couple of rapid fire questions. Um, your experience as an entrepreneur, marketing executive, what are some of the key lessons in driving revenue and profit growth with DEI strategy? Right? Take it to the bottom line in a few examples if you can. I wish that we could just get rid of the words DEI, quite honestly, <laughs> right now, because when you do that, it makes people think, okay, this is a separate thing. It's just basic business principles. There's an audience you're not reaching. They have money. You want to reach them. How are you going to reach them best? Yeah, you're going to employ some DEI training, but it's not a DEI business strategy. It's just business. And so kind of taking off this whole DEI you know, layer to everything and just peeling it back and getting back to the basics and, again, that baseline how do I build business? How do I grow business? And what makes the most sense? And what we know, demographics are shifting or changing. We know that. That's a fact. That's data. Those are numbers. If you are not prepared to reach these particular audiences, if you're not prepared to hire from these audiences, and you don't have an environment where these audiences and these people will feel comfortable, then you're just putting yourself at a competitive disadvantage. That's bad business. So just think about what you can do to have good business. It's those basics. I think uh, I've been taking a lot of notes throughout our discussion. One of the things early on that I'll tie back is the data-driven decisions. Yes. Right. So give me um, some examples of how companies can use data mm -hmm. to help inform what they're doing and, again, take some of the noise out of the conversation and just look at the, at the make it a math exercise. Yeah. I think this is really key for diversity leaders. And one of the things that and we both saw happen with George Floyd was they kind of put anybody in diversity leadership positions in some cases, right? If you match a certain demographic, oh, we want you to lead diversity, right? And that's not the right way to choose a diversity leader. Hiring by photo shoot. Hiring by photo shoot. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, but going back to the data piece, having those conversations with people that are making decisions around the data. Again, I always say, bring me the data, not the drama. It's not how you feel. It's not the emotion of what's happening. Yes, it's important and it is emotional. But to affect change around DEI, you've got to have a business conversation. So again, it's that marketer. What audiences are we trying to reach that we're not? What are we leaving on the table because we're not talking effectively to these groups? Who are we trying to hire that we're not? How, why do we all look the same sitting around the table? Why aren't we attracting different types of people? And then looking at what that means to us as an organization as we want to continue to grow. Understanding and knowing that different people sitting around the table making decisions is a stronger organization. If you don't have that, then again, a competitive disadvantage. So pulling back those, that's those DEI layers that can feel sometimes oppressive, if you will, to some organizations and just having a conversation about what makes good business sense. Looking at the numbers of people that, um, you know, if you look at the, when you talk about the data piece and getting the baseline, okay, looking at, okay, from a demographic standpoint, how do we sit as an organization? Where are there some gaps? Where can we fill opportunities? Not from a quota perspective, but just because we understand that the more diverse we are, the stronger we are as an organization. We know that innovation will, will thrive if we have more diverse voices around the table. So really understanding those things and, and leveraging those conversations as you're trying to move the needle with leaders who have influence. I, I think that, um, you know, as you were saying, you have to think about data in the construct of how it helps you strengthen your business. Right. And so if you look at the employee retention, you can get that data. If more employees are retained, you're going to have a stronger business. Right. If you have a stronger candidate pool to hire from, right? 
if you can expand your audiences based on demographics. And so all of the things that you described, I think, can help people think about building better business. Yeah. And then by thinking about building a better business, you think about the things and the elements that occur to, that, to do that. And, and I like to try to keep it simple, you know, um, because the thing I found is people that are naysayers, for example, number one, usually they're not super educated. They're repeating something they've heard. So just ask them what they mean and what they're upset about. And usually they, it's tough for them to articulate. Right. And, and one of the funny things, and I'll, I'll take uh, some host liberty on this, but this just makes me laugh every time I think about it. I saw this um, clip, and uh, they were talking about Obamacare mm -hmm. versus the Affordable Care Act. And the guy was like, man, that Obamacare, that's communism. I don't want any part of it. There's no way you'll get me on that Obamacare. What do you think about the Affordable Care Act? I love it. <laughs> it's great. It's one of the few times government has looked out for me and my family. <laughs> I was like, who's going to tell him? I was like, <laughs> come on, man. Are you being serious right now? <laughs> but this gentleman had no idea yeah. that Obamacare was what was used to vilify something. Right. Affordable Care Act was the actual legislation. And if you look at the demographics in our country, there's a diverse number of people that are on the Affordable Care Act. Yes. Right. That have insurance that didn't have before. Now, if there's a better way that people have of doing it, fantastic. I'm on for it. I'm using this example as sometimes naysayers don't actually have the data. Right. Right. The second layer of naysayers that I've found is sometimes it's not the issue they're talking about. I've heard people talk about, man, I'm just got DEI fatigue. I just did blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, is that the real answer or what's behind it? Because I don't really feel like you've been going to a lot of DEI meetings. What books have you been reading? I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the fatigue, right? And the person looked back at me and said, you know what? It's really, this is the seventh initiative our company has put out in the last six months. Yep. And I just don't have any more bandwidth for anything new. That's a real answer. Right. Right. But people spout in, yep. in different things. And the third layer are people that are just against you and are going to always be against you. That's right. But the first groups, I think education without attacking. Yes. Usually can move people from critical to curious. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference from critiquing something to being open and curious. Yeah. And so that's one of the, the things I, I, I think. If you had a magic wand, turn the microphone back over to you, right? What would you share with leaders if they had to listen to you about the fundamentals, right, for building a culture-centric organization and an organization led by inclusive leaders? What, what would you share with those leaders if you had that magic wand? <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of beating a dead horse maybe, but it is really about the value piece. And as a leader, as an organization that has values, how are you living and walking out those values? It's not enough for you to say, okay, I'm going to authorize that you can start a DEI committee or you can do these things. But if you're not modeling the behavior every day, then it really is ineffective. Um, I'd, I'd love to, again, get rid of the whole DEI. Again, I think it's a lot of noise right now, and people are using it, like you said, to, they're vilifying anything that's attached to it in a lot of cases. But back to basic business, what makes good business sense, period? And lay those things out, look at it and say, okay, well, here's an opportunity if you make sure that you're front, um, your client-facing employees understand inclusive language, your customer service teams incl understand inclusive language, your marketing people understand you know, we can't just put a diverse face on the website and that's it. You know, looking at those pieces where unconscious bias, inclusive language, 
all those plate things show up that can help mm-hmm. teams grow, but not using that as, okay, here's a mandatory training around this where people are just going to, you know, space out and to your point, you know, oh, I'm having you know, so many different initiatives, so many different trainings we have to be a part of. I'm kind of over it. So going back to the basics again, what's in it for them? Thinking about the different leaders that you have that work for you and talking to them. What's it? What's in it for them? What is it? How is this going to make their jobs easier? How is it going to make their team stronger? How is this going to make the business better? P- start there. Get the buy-in there. And then the, the DEI initiatives are really the tools, the tactics that you'll use to support a business strategy that you and your leader both agree on. Uh, I'm going to let that be the last word. Okay. Uh, how, to, how to make your job easier, your team stronger, and leveraging DEI to really grow that better business. I, I couldn't say it better, so I won't. So I'll, I'll let that be the, the last piece. What I'll say to our audience is that as we embark upon the next kind of political season, right, as we push through uh, coming out of a pandemic and hybrid work and all the different things, as we look at all the challenges that we face from a socioeconomic standpoint in our country, I would like folks to remember that there are so many things that we can agree on. And wouldn't it be cool if we could start there? Absolutely. Right. And 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 reduce the number of conversations that start on the elements of disagreement, um, because it's hard to move forward uh, when you're mad at somebody. And it's easier to move forward if you're moving from a point of, of common ground. So, Shelly, thank you very much for spending some time with me. I appreciate uh, your time, effort and energy. Uh, I think our audience will get a lot of business value from your comments. How would people get in touch with you if they want to hear from you, if they want to get to know what you're doing, your perspective and things of that nature? How would they do that? Yeah. So connect with me on LinkedIn, Shelly Willingham, and you can email me at the Diversity Movement, Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, at the diversitymovement.com. I'd love to hear from you.